Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lin, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring another 100 and 100 interviews. Today, we're sitting down with Josh Wiener. He's president and CEO of Solution Reach. Welcome, Josh. John, it's great to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have this discussion, but for those that don't know you and Solution Reach, tell us a little bit more about yourself and Solution Reach. Of course, of course. Um, so um, Solution Reach is a um, patient communications company. We've, we've been in business for 20 years. We were actually the very first company to send a healthcare-related text message in the United States, which we're very proud of, but of course we've we've iterated on that for now two decades to deliver uh, state-of-the-art patient communications tools that sit on top of the electronic medical record system. And you know we're going to get to talk about it today, but a lot of what we're working on right now is is how do you you know keep really good communication going on with patients in a virtualized environment, including telehealth solutions and you know I, I'm very fortunate and lucky enough to be a part of this organization we have a, an amazing team uh, we're headquartered uh, in the Salt Lake City area uh, of Utah and um, just again we've got a wonderful team of technologists of you know customer success team members of, of, of sales and mark go-to-market evangelists and it's just we're just really passionate group of people and I, I'm lucky to be considered one of them. Awesome. I didn't, yeah, I, I think I actually had heard you, you were that old, but I, you know, I forgot 20 years. That's a long time engaging patients and, and it certainly has evolved. So let's talk about that evolution. What is the future of patient care look like? Is it face-to-face, -face, which you facilitated through all sorts of appointment reminders and text message reminders, things like that? Or is it virtual visits and, and or, or what's the hybrid so going to be? Yeah, look, it's um, it's obviously evolving rapidly, uh, but the pandemic has created, uh, you know, a catalyst for a lot of change that, that's taking place in that workflow that you're describing, John. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of it is here to stay. I, I don't think uh, I hope that our lives in five or 10 years don't feel like we are in a pandemic. We will work our way through a pandemic and God forbid we may find ourselves in a pandemic again at some point in the future. Uh, but a lot of the workflow changes that we've been experiencing as technologists in the space, but also as patients uh, in the last few months, I think are here to stay. And so you, you said the word hybrid. I totally agree with you. I think that we're going to see a fluidity between the in-person care environment and the virtual care environment. Uh, one of the things one of my theories, you know, having worked with a lot of provider organizations of different shapes and sizes over the years and talked about telehealth and what it means and how it's going to be worked into their practices, I guess one of my theories is that patients have wanted it for a long time. And the patient experience, even if it's a little bit kludgy to get into a video conference, if there may be an app download required or, or not, you know, there's a barrier there, but patients are ready and willing to get over over that barrier, um, and and I think that it's been a lot of the provider organizations, and they've they've told me this, have woken up and then said, hey, you know what, it, it's going to be a lift 
to figure out how we deliver hybridized healthcare. But you know, the, that change management is worth it. Our hero healthcare workers operate already in what's such a complex care environment today that you know we have to have empathy and say, I get it. The, the lift is big. It's a, it's a tough lift. There's tons of change management to drive there. But I think this pandemic again has been a catalyst where they're saying, yeah, we've got to do this uh, because our, you know, now our livelihoods, our practices, our revenue streams depend on it. Uh, it, it but, you know, conversely, our patients depend on it as well. For sure. And I think you're spot on that it's really going to be determined by the providers and the provider organizations. And, and I hate the term provider to some extent, the clinicians, and, and because they're the ones that are having their workflow disrupted. On the patient side, the patients receive a ton of benefits and, and have wanted it for a long time. I mean, I just think about all the times I took my kids into a pediatric one and we literally sat down in the room. The physical exam wasn't even necessary. They could have done it virtually and I could have saved all that time sitting with my kids in the room. Like, it's just, it makes sense that the patients want it. So it will be interesting to watch the providers. But I think one of the challenges is, and we learned this in the EHR world, that workflow really matters, and that determines the key for success. So what are you seeing practices do that, you know, maybe we'll start with what are the bad things that they're doing workflow-wise in this new kind of hybrid virtual in-person world? Uh, and then we can talk about the, the good workflows as well. But what, what are some of the bad practices you're seeing as far as workflow? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, let, let's use, you know, the video telehealth. I, I would argue there's a lot of different types of virtual care that can be delivered. It doesn't need to be, you know, in a video format the way that you and I are in today. But let's use that as, a, as, a, as an example. Uh, so, you know, I, I liken the pandemic in many ways to there was a, and I don't want to downplay it in any way, I'm just trying to use a helpful analogy here, but there was a, there's a rainstorm none of us expected to have happen. And what these organizations have done is they've grabbed the nearest umbrella, even if they, they didn't have time to shop around, comparison shop, figure out which umbrella was best suited for you know exactly how the rainstorm was gonna manifest itself. They grabbed whatever umbrella was right there. And in some cases you had large organizations, even smaller ones grabbing many different types of umbrellas and trying to share thoughts on how does yours work? Does it go this way or that way? Or is there Velcro? I don't, I don't even know. It's all different stuff, right? And now we're a couple of months in here, okay? And, and now the conversation is a little bit different. It's, hey, we, you know, we had a stopgap here solution. Now it's time really to your point, John, to figure out what that workflow means. And so yes, kind of what are, the, what are the bad practices that we're seeing? I don't want to blame anybody and say they made bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, they had to make immediate decisions and, and take care of patients uh, you know, in a way that they weren't used to doing. And they did, Absolutely. but it, had, it definitely had an impact. And so when you look at, at just a basic video conferencing solution, it's not purpose-built for a healthcare workflow um, because you, you know, you're here. You have schedulers who are used to trying to keep clinicians' calendars uh, flowing the way that the calendar needs to, full the way that it needs to be. Um, and now they're juggling needing to train patients on uh, on how to use the thing. Patients are excited to, but they're like, "How do I do this? What do I do?" 
and clinicians as well. And there's really sensitive information that's flowing back and forth. Uh, schedules are, are packed full. And so there's just been, what I've seen is a lot of dropped balls, a lot of, oh no, that didn't work out. We're going to have to reschedule. And, and all of a sudden kind of chaos ensues. And so I've talked to a lot of scheduling, um, kind of th that scheduling component of, we can dig more into this, but yeah. I, would, I would say that scheduling one, that's been a real, real pain point for figuring out how, to, how do you calendar and get patients in that new digital front door and do so with a tool that's not really well suited to the purpose. Yeah, well, I think the scheduling one is a challenge. I've heard a lot of people talking about, oh, it's the first time I didn't have to wait a long time for my my visit because it was a virtual visit, which is ironic because why can you do a virtual visit on time, but you couldn't do an in-person one on time? I think there's some there's a lot of studies and information that needs to be gathered around that question. And I think some of it is interesting because the video platforms didn't provide either a virtual waiting room. So it's like, if I'm late, then I might not see that appointment. <laughs> and so there, there was this new expectation that is different. So I think the scheduling one is, is super interesting. And I think there it sounds like there's going to be a interesting component around rescheduling and, and around yes. communication around, okay, why didn't this happen? Or what if they did cancel because they waited too long? And, you know, and, and will they be okay to wait the long times that we did? I mean, when we're in the exam room, we're kind of captive because we're in the waiting room. I already made the trip here. I'm not going to just leave. And then I'm in the exam room. I'm waiting again, and I'm not going to leave because I just waited in the waiting room. And now, <laughs> you know, it's like, but in virtual, it's like, oh, my kid's bugging me. Um, maybe yeah. I just say forget it. And you I think that we're going to have the new into the, into the ether. You're now in the and, and and no longer can you be cared for. Can you get the information that you need? And who knows when we'll, we'll get a hold you again yeah and can you charge me for that cancellation the same way totally. what will be the culture yeah. of that i mean i guess at the end of the day a lot of it goes back to communication too and i don't think most of the video systems that most of these like you said have just grabbed off the shelf and tried to implement you know to their credit they made do with what they had now we need to figure out what is the optimal way to do this? Is it a virtual waiting room? What communications needed with the patient beforehand to make sure they're prepared? I, I imagine you guys are working on a lot of that communication piece, right? We sure are. I mean, we view telehealth uh, and again, a, a synchronous telehealth visit like, like the video conference that we're in now as one point in what's a long, long lasting patient journey. It's just one touch point. It happens to be a very critical one where you're face to face with a clinician, but there are many others. And to the extent that you can put that uh, that event in that flow, in that continuous flow, uh, we're all going to win here. And so, what does that mean in practice? Yes, kind of we're working on one of the, what it means to me is that when you schedule that appointment, hopefully it's an online self-service environment, but you might have called in or or chatted in to get an appointment scheduled. Well, then now that immediately is going to trigger a series of communications, which we work on at Solution Reach. One of those communications could be a um, reminder. Hey, John, you're, you know, in a week, just a heads up, we're getting on your telehealth appointment is, is one week from today. Uh, another one might be, and by the way, here's a, 
here's a mobile form or a digital form that I'd like you to fill out in advance. It's going to have basic health history, insurance, and other related information that you can fill out. It's part of a flow. The next thing that you might get uh, is a, you know, a piece of educational content. Here's how the virtual care uh, is going to work. You may not be familiar with it. Um, steps one, two, and three, here's what to expect. Uh, then you, you're going to get a reminder. And now here's the real interesting one. I, I don't know. If, like I like it a lot. I think it's really interesting. Is a 15 or a five-minute reminder. Hey, it's 8.55 a.m. Your appointment is in five minutes. Here's the link. Get ready. And talk about keeping everything kind of moving on on time. And I love that as a patient. I would also like it uh, as a provider. You have to visit. Again, it's one point in time. And then we start the follow-up flow. How was your visit? What feedback do you have for us? How are you feeling? Um, you know, here's your next appointment. Uh, all of those things we believe are part of a, of a continuous conversation and that that's the right thing for, for clinicians, but it's really also the right thing for patients. And I can give you one personal example, which is that uh, my wife's expecting, we're, we're expecting a baby in, in the fall, she's pregnant, which is really, really exciting for us. It's our second. and. Um, and like you were talking about earlier, you're talking about doing like pediatric uh, visits virtually. Well, we're doing prenatal visits virtually. Well, here's the here's a simple example of hybrid. So um, we received a fetal Doppler monitor. It's a heartbeat monitor in the mail. Small little device, no screen or anything. It just allows you to listen to the fetus's heartbeat. And um, and 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 the issue is. If we couldn't find it, if we couldn't get the heartbeat, we would need to convert a virtual appointment into an in-person appointment. And so essentially there was this trigger point where whether or not we could do it and then log that information for the provider or not, we didn't know. So we were kind of expecting could go either way. It's early in the pregnancy. A lot of times it's pretty yeah. difficult as a layperson to find you know, a very small baby's heartbeat. Uh, we found it. And that was really exciting and fun for us and reassuring, of course. But it also meant, oh, tomorrow is virtual. Got it. And then it sets this different flow in motion. Well, it's amazing how personalized that is. And it actually brings up a whole other area of what happens if you don't find it and the fear and the unknown. And how do you communicate that? And how do you deal with that fear? Because maybe it was just your skill, not the that the baby's actually not there. I mean, so that that anyway, that's a that's another discussion for another day. But what I thought was interesting is is that whole personalization, and I think it's based on the person's preference, but also you brought up an interesting one around. Yeah, if it's a virtual appointment, the five-minute reminder is extremely valuable. But if that's an in-person one, that five-minute one, yeah, like what are you talking about? I'm trying to find yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. You just made me mad because it's like, oh crap, I forgot it, and now I can't make it. And, yeah, I mean, so so I mean, you almost have to personalize it to the appointment type as well. That is such a great. That's such a great point. How whether you're driving down an in-person visit path or a, or a virtual path, that whole flow of communications is going to be different. Or in the example which my wife and I were just going through, it was, you know, could have been either way. And so that's like a third type of flow where we're not sure which type of appointment right. it's going to be. Yeah, it's a pending more data flow, which yeah. is, I mean, yeah. it's getting so personalized. Uh, and I think it's going to have to. Uh, and so, you know, it's great to see you all are working on that. 
The other element that I think is worth exploring is, you know, you kind of described this ideal workflow and it assumes people are connected. It assumes they can do the virtual and all, all sorts of things. So my question for you, and I think it's especially poignant given the times, is does this ideal workflow really scale across all of healthcare or does it need to be different for rural versus urban, rich versus uh, those in poverty or even generationally, you know, do you have to incorporate that or, or you know, or, or how do you think about that? That's a great question. I mean, patient, you're getting at this concept of patient access and what really does patient access mean and what role does communication technology playing that because certainly what we do at Solution Reach, we're not the only um, you know, component to what's a much bigger issue around patient access, solving uh, inequality uh, issues, um, but also tailoring and personalizing care to the right patient because when you do that, you get better outcomes. So we've, we definitely put a lot of thought into that, but I will say you know, we're, we do like to um, you know, stay core to what 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 our mission is, John, and, and it's and what we're what our core competencies are, and and really the data show that um, old people, young people, poor people, rich people, we have phones, we have we have internet access, we are connected. Uh, now, you know, there are all sorts of things that you're that you know, your station in life may impact how you're able to access care and what access to transportation you have or data plans and all of these things do come into play. But um, our take is that the simpler that we can keep things in terms of anchoring around a text message driven flow um, that's mobile centric, that those things, that just the data that we're seeing is saying that is going to provide access to the most people possible. And it's also just getting better. So if it's better today than it was five years ago, in terms of, you know, folks with less money being able to have access to higher, you know, bandwidth connections and smartphone access, it's going to be even better in five or 10 years. And it's interesting. Uh, you know, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but, you know, as I see it from a communication perspective, which is that phone, you know, that it has, you know, and I think the numbers play out when you look at mobile adoption, you know, that they have that available, whereas, you know, transportation, ability to arrive at an appointment, even high quality video, you know, for a telehealth visit, you know, even the ability to pay for the visit. I mean, those are other challenges that complicate things, but from a communication standpoint, that, you know, that, that has become quite ubiquitous, uh, more so than many of those other challenges, which I think is interesting. Well, it definitely has, um, and and I would maybe throw one other example to anchor us, which is that um, portals have become actually quite robust. Uh, you know, I think we saw an initial, you know, the first 10 years of, of portals, you know, since meaning meaningful use became important, the first five to 10 years, you saw a lot of portals that we all as, as participants in the healthcare system wouldn't be very proud of. But now they're really, really good portals. Um, yet the adoption remains very, very low. The barrier of needing a, um, you know, a, a login, a username, a password, um, and and then just you know having a proactive patient base that's going to take control of their care 
and use that portal, uh, it just doesn't represent the whole patient population that's out there. It just doesn't. And so while we believe portals are good uh, and, and well, and, and they can do really more now than they ever have been before, and I use, use them and my wife uses them and, and they're really good, um, that's not what we do at Solution Ridge because what we view is that's going to be really helpful for the 20 to 30% of your patients who are already really on top of their game. But for the 60, 70, 80% of patients who may have switched providers and lost their password or they're trying to figure out, navigate the system, English may not be their first, first language. There are all sorts of, of barriers where we say, hey, if you've got a cell phone number, we can, you know, we can engage with you. We can help make a a, be, a really big difference in, in your care pathway. That's great. I, I think that's some great insights. And thanks so much for spending time with us. Uh, I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And thanks, everyone, for watching. We've been here with Josh Wiener. He's president and CEO of Solution Reach. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Josh. Thank you.